you're listening to Rumination Tuesday, where we look at the hymn for the following Sunday. And we actually have uh, two hymns to look at. The one we're choosing is A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth. That was written by Paul Gerhardt and appeared in 1647. It was at the end of the Thirty Years' War, 1618 to 1648, and Berlin was seeking deeper into political tensions. This hymn is designated for Good Friday, and there's another hymn, of course, that is well known, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. Both hymns draw on a near mystical tradition of passionate contemplation of the suffering of our Savior. And it's very interesting to see how this hymn has been used. Uh, A profound example of gospel comfort occurred in 1944. Hildegard Schader, S-C-H-A-E-D-E-R, was imprisoned by the Nazis for aiding and abetting Jews, and she was listed for the gas chamber. In the darkness of solitary confinement, realizing her desperate condition, she wrote to her mother and unconsciously repeated the hymn on her lips, A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth. Her hymnal of the heart gave her the same prayer the poet had uttered in his own dark times and helped her survive to the war's end. And she lived until 1984 when she died. All of this points to the core truth of the hymn, the love of Christ in offering his son for our salvation. And so now we're going to take a closer look at it. I'm Tom Baker, and with me is Pastor Mark Smith. Hello, Mark. Hi, how you doing? Boy, that was a great story. I'll tell you, that, that illustrates how important it is when we, uh, when we choose memory verses and things for our kids to, uh, to lock in their hearts. That's a, that's a, uh, that, let's not forget the, the wonderful hymn verses, too. Boy, that's a great example of how that helped her at a most difficult time in her life. Yes, um, we all know of Herman Otten, and he was a pastor for a long time. He's died now. But on Saturday mornings, he would go with his kids on a walk uh, around their farm area, and while they were walking, they were singing hymns, and he taught them uh, a number of hymns uh, by memory. And so I, I would hope that maybe parents would do that in the home, maybe sing a hymn after dinner or a devotion during the day. But I think your point is well taken. Yeah, we All love right. hymns in our family. Yes. A lamb goes uncomplaining forth. If you would read the first stanza, please. A lamb goes uncomplaining forth, the guilt of sinners bearing, and laden with the sins of earth, none else the burden sharing, goes patient on, grows weak and faint, to slaughter led 
without complaint, that spotless life to offer. He bears the stripes, the wounds, the lies, the mockery, and yet replies, all this I gladly suffer. Now, there's a hymn that talks about that Jesus did this with joy. And that is really out of the Bible, where he talks about with joy he went to the way of the cross. Yeah. Why would he have gladness or joy? Well, this is what this is the the paramount thing that he came to do. I mean, uh, he of course he did many things. He uh, performed miracles and uh, healings and cast out demons. But this was the, this was the all important thing. He came uh, to lay his life down on the altar of the cross in order to redeem all people of all time. Yes. What I like about this first hymn, it really explains what Jesus really meant when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you take a look at the Aramaic, it really is saying, my God, my God, why have you left me alone? And the hymn says, none else the burden sharing. Right. Jesus was on the cross, not the Father, not the Holy Spirit, only the second person of the Trinity. And this is really important from a law and gospel point of view. A lot of people think that they have to share the burden with Jesus, like he died on the cross and it's up to me to create faith in me or invite him into my heart or some kind of nonsense like that. And therefore, yeah, talk, about, talk about the loneliness. Think of that. Ponder that. Yes. That, uh, he's utterly alone. And um, let's see, what else was it going to say? Well, you know, that's what hell is. You know, he, he, he suffered the very pangs of hell on that cross for all of us. And that, that hell is utter God forsakenness. Talk about being alone. I can't imagine, a, a, you know, the Son of God feeling so alone at this time. This is yes. this I believe. This I believe is what he was, what drove him to utter sorrow the the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, "I'm extremely sorrowful even to the point of death." I think it was because he pondered this this terrible God forsaken loneliness on the cross the next day. Yes, it's important to say that what he was really concerned about was not so much the suffering of the cross, as terrible as that was, but the separation between him and the Father. Absolutely, yes. And he was separate from the Father to pay for our sins. And he goes uncomplaining forth, uh, the guilt of sin bearing, the guilt of sinners bearing. In other words... He was made to be sin for us. And that occurred probably at his baptism when he did the baptism of repentance of John the baptizer. Yeah, that great divine exchange that he made, giving us his righteousness and taking all the sins of the whole world upon himself. Yes. All right. He bears the stripes, the wounds, the lies. You, you spoke about hell. After our Bible study, each Sunday, I allow any questions to come from the congregation, and a man put his hand up and says, 
Is it true that in hell that people will be burned with fire? And I explained that God had to describe the horrors of hell using language we were familiar with. And so burning is one of the worst things that can happen to an individual. And so fire is part of that hell, but it may not destroy us, I said. Remember, Moses on Mount Sinai saw God in a burning bush, but the bush was not destroyed, even though it was on fire. And so I was trying to explain what hell was. And I remember a, a program that I watched, which was really interesting. It was a guy who was robbing a bank and he got shot. But when he woke up, he was in a room, beautiful room with beautiful women around him and all the food he wanted. And he loved gambling. And so he began to gamble, uh, do gambling like in a casino. And he never lost. Every time he did a bet, he would win. And after a while, he got really bored with this because he was never losing. There was no chance of losing. So he said, I never thought heaven was like this. And one of the woman, women looked at him and said, what makes you think you're in heaven? <laughs> well, I always think of that passage. It's very short. It's shorter than your illustration, Tom. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Yes. How about that yeah. for a for a description of hell? Yeah, Where the worm no... dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Boy. All right, that's why we talk about this lamb going uncomplaining forth. I'll, I'll read stanza two. This lamb is Christ, the soul's great friend, the lamb of God, our Savior, whom God the Father chose to send to gain for us his favor. Go forth, my son, the Father said, and free my children from their dread of guilt and condemnation. The wrath and stripes are hard to bear, but by your passion they will share the fruit of your salvation. Now, what I find interesting, this is really a conversation between the Father and the Son. Yes, it is very interesting. Uh, you know, there was a, a divine plan that they had agreed on, and it was the it was the Father's will, and and Jesus wholeheartedly agreed to it in every respect. Yes, to say that this Lamb, which is a metaphor of what He is, is Christ. That's also the word for Messiah in the Greek, Christ, and it means the Anointed One who has come to die for the sins of the world. In Jesus' day, many people were looking for the Christ, but they had a view that he would come and get rid of the Romans, restore Israel to its former grandeur. Everybody would have enough food and have good shelter, wonderful homes, but they really missed it quite a bit. And even though they rejoiced on Palm Sunday, um, there were those who called crucify him, crucify him on Good Friday. This yeah, they is, were. 
uh, they didn't a want good him. Friday hymn. Yes, that's right. It is, and of course, uh, and it, it's not only Palm Sunday this coming Sunday. It's the Sunday of the Passion, also designated. You can kind of take your pick. I, I we do uh, we do some of each at the church well, where I'm preaching. The reason they do this is that yes. Palm Sunday's readings occur during Advent. Yes. And the readings that they give us for this Sunday from uh, Concordia Publishing House are Deuteronomy 32, Philippians 2, and Luke 23. None of them talk about his entry into Jerusalem. In fact, I don't know if you've taken a look at the gospel. It's the entire chapter of Luke 23, 56 That's right. verses long. Yes. I think, I think part of the rationale of, ha of having that entire passion narrative on Palm Sunday is to, you know, not everybody goes to Good Friday service. That's what's, you know, that's too bad. And it's, but, but this way, everybody, if you come every Sunday, you get the cross. Of course, you, you get the cross every Sunday, but, but here you get it in all of its vivid uh, detail. Uh, yeah, Luke 23 does a pretty good job. Um, until I read it again, it, it's a long reading. It would take it about half of the service to read it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'll have the congregation stand the whole time. Uh, I I like to have them sit down and and hear it read. Uh, but I don't know. People are different. Well, the liturgy says we stand for the gospel. Mm -hmm. but there are occasions when you might not want to. But um, I think what I'm going to be doing is just taking a portion of this because I'm going to be uh, preaching on Philippians 2 instead. Uh-huh. Um, I'll, I'll give you a hint. What was the first work of salvation that Jesus did? Oh, I would th I would say his um, uh, circumcision, shedding of his blood on circumcision. What well, what do you think of that? That's a possibility, but I was thinking of the one that he himself went through, and that to me would be his incarnation. Okay, okay, yeah. That's the yeah, first that's, uh, work that's of the, salvation. That's the first step of his humiliation, state of humiliation. Right. That's right. right. And we're going to be talking about that and bringing in portions of the Gospel of Luke. But I'm not going to read the whole thing um, because they'll have it in front of them. And also, we're going to be having a Good Friday service. Are you having Monday, Thursday, Good Friday also? Yes. Both. You know... You've been in the ministry over, what, 25 years? 40, let's see, since 79. Uh, so what is that, 40, 43 years, yeah. Okay. Oh, 42, 43, yeah. Okay, let's say it's 40. You've preached on Easter 40 times. What more can you say? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you know, I always feel that way. I feel that way about several Sundays. Uh, the Ascension. Yeah. Palm Sunday. And uh, let's see, what's the other one? Oh, the Transfiguration. Well, how about always, Christmas? <laughs> well, Christmas, no, there's always, oh, no, 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 no. There's always something you can bring to bear on Christmas. But yes. I find those Sundays, ascent, the Ascension, the Transfiguration, and Palm Sunday, I find, and it's, it's, it's lame on my part, but I sometimes feel challenged to bring to bear something new about those, uh, those uh, fest, important festivals. Yes, I do a lot of reading, uh, especially in the commentaries from Concordia Publishing House are really helpful to give you some insights that you are unaware of. And that's what I often will look at, plus other uh, readings uh, from other scholars and such. But the advantage I have is you were pretty well at one congregation for those years, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for 38 years at uh, Prince of Peace in Crestwood. That's right. That's what I was thinking. 38 uh, years. I've been at about 30 different congregations during those years. Because once I became with Concordia Mission Society, I wasn't preacher anymore at St. James and went around the country to various congregations. So... They did not hear my original Easter sermons, and although I made changes to fit that congregation, I did not run out of material. <laughs> All right. Stand you, know, you, hear stories, you hear stories about pastors that write three years of sermons, and then they take a call. <laughs> well, even I worse, there was a, a, a guy in the congregation and he was visiting, uh, well, the guy I'm talking about is President uh, Johnson from Concordia Seminary. And he was right. at a congregation, and he was listening to the sermon, and it was the one he had written in Pulpit Helps. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> Somebody and used so, <laughs> Yeah, right. And the pastor hadn't realized he was visiting and at the end, when he walked out, there was really quite a face on the pastor when he realized yeah. who it was. Yeah. You got to be really careful. Yeah. All right. Well, I even heard I heard one professor one professor talk about uh, he he heard somebody preaching and he he felt like standing up and reciting the very words himself. Yes. <laughs> right. All right. Four thirty-eight, please. Uh, stanza three. Yes, Father, yes, most willingly. I'll bear what you command me. My will conforms to your decree. I'll do what you have asked me. O oh, wondrous love, what have you done? The Father offers up his Son, desiring our salvation. O oh, love, how strong you are to save. You lay the one in into the grave who built the earth's foundation. That's a, that's a tremendous verse. Yeah. Jesus created the earth's foundation, and he's laid in it after his death. Yeah, it says you lay the one. That one is capitalized. It's talking, of course, about him. The very one who built the earth's foundation is laid into the tomb. 
Yes. And the verse there really shows my will conforms to your decree. I'll do what you have asked me. That's the obedience of the son to the father. And right. that's talked about also, like in the book of Hebrews and elsewhere, that yeah. uncomplaining, he does the will of the father. Yeah, that's why that's why Jesus tells Peter when Peter drew out the sword and cut off um, Malchus's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tells Peter, "Put your sword away, Peter. I, don't you realize I could call on twelve legions of angels any time if I wanted? But it's it's important that this that this divine plan of redemption is carried out. How would it be carried out otherwise? Yes, and. Once more, Peter and the rest of the disciples really didn't know who they were dealing with. No. They were dealing with God, and they took him to be a mighty man, a great prophet, but not God until after the resurrection. Even though, recall in the Garden of Gethsemane, you mentioned it, that Jesus was asked whether or not he was Jesus of Nazareth, and when he answered it, they fell down to the ground. They fell. You know, they all fell back. Yes. Why, why did they? Well, there's there are different theories on that. I I believe it was the power of his word when he said, "I am, I am He." Uh, they just it just blew him away. That's my that's my impression. But I've heard others. I've heard others say it was it was what they interpreted as the the ultimate blasphemy, and uh, they just uh, you know it was like it was like tearing the, like Caiaphas tearing his garment. Yes, what do you because think? he doesn't say I am. He says ego imi, which is usually the way that you would say the name of God that Moses was given uh, at the burning bush. I am who wow. I am. Right. When Jesus said that, that was an act of blasphemy, which he also basically said before the high priest, who then said, we don't need any other evidence that he's blaspheming, therefore let us crucify him. Yeah. It was Jesus' own words. So what okay. do you think? What, what do you think is the reason why the, the, the mob fell back when Jesus answered? I definitely... Well, I was taught by Dr. Martin Charlemagne that particular point, and that's the point he made, that Jesus was using the name of God. Uh, and they were the act. Remember, these were not Roman soldiers. No. These were soldiers sent by the Jews, so they were Jewish, and therefore they recognized what they would consider to be blasphemy. Okay, so it was a, what they interpreted to be the blasphemy. That's what blew them over. They just they thought this that's is right. the height of blasphemy. We we can't stand before this. Right. Okay. Remember, the high priest tore his robes when he came yes. to that realization. All right, stanza four. Lord, when your glory I shall see and taste your kingdom's pleasure. Your blood, my royal robe, shall be my joy beyond all measure. When I appear before your throne, your righteousness shall be my crown. With these I need not hide me, and there in garments richly wrought, 
as your own bride shall we be brought to stand in joy beside you. Now, you may find it interesting, there was quite an argument about this last verse. And I didn't realize it till I read about it. But uh, on the Commission on Worship versus those who finally did the final, if you read this, this last verse, it's all I. I shall see. Your blood, my royal, shall be. My joy. Everything is first person. But yes. for some reason, at the end, as your own bride, shall we be brought. Uh -huh. Right. When originally it's, shall I be brought to stand in joy beside you? The it's I funny. I, do, I, don't, I, I have no trouble with that, with that transition at all. Tom? Keep talking. What do you say? I don't have any trouble with that transition because we are the church. I mean, this is very personal. This is very personal for uh, Paul Gerhardt to write it this way. Um, that it that it's he he's personally um, joy beyond all measure. He knows this joy personally, but he's also part of the of the Holy Christian Church, the Bride of Christ. Well, the problem is the word bride is in the singular. Yeah. So. As the bride, I am brought to heaven. Uh -huh, I see. I see. Well, what's your feeling on it? It should have been I. It should have been I all the way through? Right. Okay. Yes, because we are singularly uh, the bride of Christ. Well, interesting hymn. You going to use it this Sunday? I'll use it sometime, sometime Holy Week, I'm sure. That's right. We've got a bunch of services coming up. Well, thank you, Mark Smith, for this hymn. And we're going to be taking a, a look tomorrow again at another section of Proverbs by Solomon. And we're going to see right for sure even this hymn. Till tomorrow, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.